We started a sermon series last week on kingdom stewardship. I'm doubting technology now. I had to look and see if it was there. <laughs> um, and we learned last week that Jesus is the king. He showed up on the scene and he said, hey, the kingdom's here because, of course, the king is here. And he brought his kingdom to earth. And we also learned that it's an already not yet kingdom and that he brought us a taste of the kingdom. But the full revelation of the kingdom is yet to come on his return. But he brought us a taste of the kingdom. And we are part of that kingdom as citizens of the kingdom of God as believers. Uh, we said last week the kingdom of God is the realm where God reigns supreme and Jesus is the king. Amen. And it is so true. So. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback off of last week's a little bit um, and talk more about the kingdom today and get into a little bit more of the stewarding of the kingdom. And in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit deeper, what that looks like to be stewards. But there are really two kingdoms when it comes to us as believers. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. There's the power of light, power of darkness, God's kingdom, and the, the cultural kingdom of this world. You know, and, and last week, we kind of broke that out into, you know, there are monarchies, there are presidencies, there are dictatorships, but I'm not talking about any of that now. I'm just talking about, for us as citizens, we're either a citizen of the world, and then when we get born again, we're citizens of God's kingdom, right? So there's two kingdoms, and we're going to explore a little deeper both of those kingdoms today. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus, this is uh, close to three years into his um, earthly ministry. So he was probably, you know, 30 years old-ish when he started his earthly ministry, started calling disciples, and this is three years into that. So give or take. So there's disciples that have been with him this whole time, some that piggybacked on later, maybe a year in, year and a half in. But for the most part, these, these disciples that followed him, and know this, that they weren't just the 12 disciples, but he had an entourage. He was known as a rabbi, right? A teacher, a good teacher. And then the, the 12 followed him, and they were probably, well, they were obviously his inner circle. They were the close ones that at night, sitting by the campfire, he would have been talking to the 12 mostly. But there were others. There were his mother, Mary, that followed around. In many places, we see her name pop up. Mary Magdalene is another one of the Marys. There's a third Mary. I'm not sure her last name. But there's others that followed him around. There was probably a good many disciples of the disciples that had connected. They were bought in, and they said, I'm willing to go and follow Jesus around. And so... It was probably three years in. So they had been taught. They had witnessed miracles. They had witnessed him raise the dead, open blind eyes, open the mute ears, multiply the fishes and the loaves, and feed thousands and thousands of people with a small basket of food. They had witnessed so many things. They had seen him walk on water, y'all. Hmm. Speaking of water. So, you know, they had seen things we haven't seen, and I have to believe they were, they were convinced. They knew who he was, but at the same time, Man, there's talk, right? Everywhere they go, there's talk. Everywhere they go. You know, take what we did this morning here. There were some leaders in the front, and, and that, now there was leaders that, that were in the back, and, and it's cool. It wasn't about, in the moment, being a leader, but there were people in the room. And you, you might have been in the, in, the, in the back. You might have been sitting somewhere, and you might have overheard somebody say, what's going on here? This is kind of weird, you know? And, you know, what's Pastor Mike doing? Why is he hollering? You know I mean? You might hear some things. So don't think it was different then. Jesus was doing his ministry thing, man. He was, he, was, uh, he was possibly multiplying fish and loaves, whatever, changing water into wine. And the, the, the disciples that were close by, man, they were in the fray. Get out of the way. I'm doing this. Go, my goodness, look what he's doing. But then there were those disciples that were scattered amongst the crowd that were 
still devoted, yet they were hearing things. So there was a lot of talk. Man, you got to imagine, there was a lot of talk. This was a politically tense time. This was a spiritually tense time. And so here we have Jesus and his disciples. Matthew 16, uh, verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. Now stop right there. We're going to finish this scripture in a moment, but stop right there. When Jesus came into the district, again, all of his disciples with him, they're traveling up to Caesarea Philippi. Let me put this in context too, because right before this passage of scripture, if you were to peruse north on your paper, on your Bible there, in, uh, in the scriptures, you would see that Jesus had just finished, and he was probably on the Sea of Galilee in one of the towns that they ministered at there. They kind of had some homes that they camped out and lived in, and then they would minister in the cities around the Sea of Galilee. That's in the north end of Israel. And so that's more than likely where they were like the day before we see this scripture. And Jesus is warning his disciples about the, the religious bondage and legalism of the Pharisees. And he was warning them, don't be fooled by this fake God's stuff. Don't be fooled by religion. And when I say that, I know there is a good side of religion and a bad side. And Jesus was specifically talking about the bad side, the legalism. For generations and generations, for hundreds of years, they had, the Jewish people had learned that you've got to do good to forget for God's acceptance and forgiveness. You've got to do good. Be good. The Pharisees, you know, they faked it. You know, they would be like, look at me. I'm so pious. I'm so good. Look at me. And they had all kinds of decor that went with that. And, and people were like, ooh, ah, look at them, you know. Uh, the, the Pharisees, you know, they've got it all together. God loves them. And there was this weird religious implication that Jesus is warning the disciples about. Don't let them fool you. They ain't got nothing, baby. They ain't got nothing. No power in what they're doing. It's a form of godliness, but they deny his power. So this is, that's in the scriptures just right before where we're at right now. So the disciples had just heard that. And then he's like, probably more, early one morning, if you're going to travel somewhere early one morning, he probably woke him up and said, hey, guys, let's go. We're going to walk 18 miles today north. And that was not unusual for them because they walked over where they went, right? So they started trekking, and they, they went uh, north 18 miles-ish to this little town of Caesarea Philippi. So Syria Philippi, day, uh, 18 miles, was more than likely a day's journey. So you can imagine, they get up early in the morning, they get some breakfast, and they trek out. Here they go, and they're going up hills, down hills, through the rocks and crevices. They're, they're traveling up this well-worn road, lots of other people traveling too, but they're going to Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me tell you a little about Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was founded uh, way back, at, at least back two, three hundred years before this incident with Jesus Alexander the Great, more than likely, his people, they founded it. It was a city as they were taking over the world and the kingdoms of the world. In the Greek Empire, they would have founded this city, and it was called something else back then, but he founded it, and most of the cities Alexander the Great founded were very, uh, they would turn into these uh, religious, cultural, cultish communities. Well, Caesarea Philippi, even though it was on the northern edges of Jerusalem, of uh, of Israel, there were no Jews there. There, there were only heathens there. There were only people there that 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 were into uh, worshiping other gods. As a matter of fact, the city was a marketplace. People lived there, and people uh, sold their goods there. A lot of agriculture, a lot of 
a lot of uh, sheep and goats and things like that. But then right outside this city was this huge uh, place where they worshipped. And uh, there were several things there at this place where they worshipped. So they had to have sacrifices for that worship. And so in the city, you would go into the city of Caesarea Philippi, and you would buy your sheep, your goats, whatever you were going to be sacrificing, and then you would go to this place of worship. This was not Hebrew. This was not Jewish. This was pagan. This was that matter of fact, for years before Jesus, they sacrificed people there. They sacrificed babies. Uh, they gave them to the gods. You know, Greek mythology, if you've been anywhere near that, you know that they, they worshipped. Everything had a god, right? There was the god of the wall, god of the ceiling, god of the floor. You know, you had to, and you had to sacrifice your baby to get favor. And So that's what was happening at this temple area outside of Caesarea Philippi. And again, there was no Jews there because Jews were like, this is a bad place. This was, a, this was like Vegas, baby. <laughs> this was like, you know what happens in Vegas days in Vegas. They say that for a reason. I mean, it is, it is a mecca for the paganism. It's a mecca for sensuality, a, pay, uh, uh, a mecca for uh, all things bad, you know. And, so, and I'm not sure if all of Vegas is that way, but the, the town center is. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Well, it was like that. And so, you know, good Jewish boys like the disciples, who had been raised on honor God, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, <clears throat> stay pure, stay away from all the bad stuff. They were like, where's he taking us? Caesarea Philippi. Dude, what would daddy think if he saw me there? <laughs> I mean, come on, it's like going into the dirty place, like going to Vegas. And so here they go. They're traveling. And it would have been a day's journey. So they, they would have left in the morning. They would have gotten there late in the afternoon, maybe not quite at dark. But they would have got there late in the afternoon. They show up, and they're starting to see and smell and hear some of the things things they've only heard of because they've never been here before. Some of the sights, some of the smells, some of the, you know, they probably smelled some alcohol brewing. (laughs) They probably smelled a fire going with some sacrifices going, and it was was strange fire. It wasn't like they had seen the priests do back in their cities. And they were there, and they they were seeing these people, and they were, all of a sudden, they started seeing people getting dressed up and putting it on their face paint because they were going to go to this temple that night because they did it every night. And they were going to worship their gods. And they were going to create this, this, this burning man experience. You may know what burning man is. Am I just talking to a few people in here? Okay, me and Holly know. But out in the deserts of Utah, they have this big thing every year, and it's hedonism, not 101, probably 301. And it's just unadulterated passion. Oh, it's, it's just bad. You get me. Well, it was like that. So they were, here, they were starting to see that. And they were starting to see. So here's, here's Jesus, and he's bringing his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Millie, I want you to go ahead and put that picture up. Boom, there it is. All right, so to give you an idea, this is right outside of Caesarea Philippi. This is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon spoken of in the Bible. Mount Hermon uh, was at the northernmost point. It was the highest mountain in all of Israel, and it was made out of limestone. And so all winter long, the snow-capped mountains, uh, and then they would start melting in the spring, and the water, instead of running down the sides of the mountain, had carved ways in the mountain. There were caverns, there were caves full of water in the mountains, and they all kind of came out in this one area. This is actually the head waters for the Jordan River that, y'all know, flows down the eastern side of Israel. Well, this is where it came out, and so in this picture, it's just like, oh, look, a peaceful stream. But back in Jesus' day, it probably would have been more of a rushing water coming out of there. On the left is a cave where the waters came out, and that's kind of a grotto. That's what they call that, a grotto, cultural. And on the right, there would have been the, it's actually called the stone of the gods on the right. This, the rock of the gods is on the right where there's temples, and there's a big temple to the god Pan, P-A-N, yeah, like Peter Pan, that god, 
there was, on the right, there was a big temple to Pan, and then there were some other smaller temples to different goddesses and gods, and they were all to the right of that. I can't, they're not there anymore, but that's what was there. And then you see the carving, the little carving in the wall. There were tons of those carvings. There were little statues all up in there. So, okay. The, the god Pan is in Greek mythology. Anybody study that, you know. God Pan, one, the big major gods. He was half goat, half man, had horns. Uh, uh, god in Greek mythology. And here, the people, these are people outside of God. They didn't have any clue about God that we serve. They served the gods, all the gods, and Pan was one of their local gods. They had a big temple. This is where the sacrifices to Pan. So in that cave, this is where the sacrifices to Pan would take place. And they would, they would go to the city, and they would buy their goat every spring, and they had to go sacrifice their goat by throwing him in the waters inside the grotto. If the goat sank, it means that Pan accepted their offering. If the goat floated and cascaded out and ended up down in the Jordan River, that's nasty. But then Pan rejected their offering. You weren't going to be blessed in your harvest. You weren't going to be blessed in, your, blessed in your ventures. So you go back to the city and buy another goat. Don't you know it would be good to be a goat seller in those days in Caesarea Philippi? So they go back, buy another one. And you had to keep doing this until Pan accepted your sacrifice. And so you're selling lots of goats. You might go through 10, 20 goats just to get Pan happy if the goats sank. <clears throat> so that was known as that grotto. Y'all see it. That grotto where the sacrifices were made was known as the gates of hell because it was like a portal to the underworld. It was a portal to the underworld. And and there was belief in those days that all of the sensual gods, which there was many, went under in the underworld in the winter. And in the springtime, they would begin to come out. And that's where they would come out right there in that grotto, in that cave. That's where Pan would come out. That's where Pan lived in that grotto and on the right there was his temple and they did all kinds of worship so the disciples are there it's almost dark it's evening time and they're in this city more than likely they walked out they would have walked out this is this is a little speculation but it fits the storyline so they would have walked out jesus would have said come on guys let's go out of the city and they would have been maybe on this little hill to the right looking down over the the rock of the gods with all the temples and and the, and the carvings with all the goddesses all the little bitty nymphs is what they were called in the carvings in the walls there that's what pan's entourage you know that's because pan was really into that stuff you know what i'm talking about and so pan they were like there was pan's grotto and they would have been sitting up on this hillside looking down jesus has got his disciples there they're very uncomfortable some of you might be now um they were, they were very uncomfortable and yet they knew jesus jesus was fixing to teach us something he's fixing to teach us something let me tell you a little more about pan pan when he was born Greek mythology. When Pan was born, his mother looked at him and he was so scary looking that she screamed and ran away and never saw him again. As a matter of fact, she panicked. That's where the word panic comes from, is from this god Pan. Something else about him, they worshipped him here at these temples. They worshipped him. That's what Jesus and his disciples were fixing to see. They're sitting up on this hill, it's the sun's setting, and all of a sudden the fires are being lit. They hear the bleeding of goats. There's goats everywhere around there because goat worship having goats do things on the platforms in front of the people was part of this ceremony. Then they would sacrifice the goats and they were appeasing pan and the people were, 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 were painted up and they were sensually dressed and they were out there dancing around and it was right at dark. And here's what, if we were there, if we were disciples, we're sitting with Jesus, we'd be like, 
I, I feel dirty. <laughs> I don't know that I should be even seeing this. And yet this is what's happening. It's this, this, this uproar. This music was bah, bah, bah. It was crazy. And the people were, oh, they were dancing around. And they were slithering around. And, they were, and, and it was pandemonium. <laughs> That's where that word comes from as well, from the god Pan. And here they were. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Are y'all with me? Are y'all on the hillside? Are y'all overlooking this? And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, who do people, who does the world, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. People were talking, and the disciples were hearing. They were hearing all kinds of voices about who Jesus was, all kinds of opinions. And then in verse 16, 15, he said to them, but who do you? Who? Okay, I hear you, but who do you? Who do you say that I am? You've been with me. You've watched me. You, 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 you see me. You know me. Who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up and replied, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter is known to be excited about things throughout the scriptures. And I don't know if he didn't get excited here. I don't know that he wasn't hearing da 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 the pandemonium going on. And feeling that, feeling looking down there and going, I'm glad I'm not like them. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I know Jesus, who's sitting right here. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You are the, you're God Almighty. You're God himself in present form with us, present human form with us. I mean, he was like emphatic. You've got to know that I know who you are. I don't care what they say. I know who you are. I don't care what people say and their opinions about you. I know who you are because I've been with you and I've experienced you. I've watched you. I've felt you. I know you. I don't care what anybody says on the internets. I know who you are because I've been with you. This is a big deal here. Because the world around us says a lot of things about Jesus. I tell you what, I, I follow, and I'm not, this is not prescriptive, this is descriptive. I'm not encouraging you to do this, but to keep me balanced, I follow some heretics. I follow some people that, that hate God and have been hurt by the church. Because I, I want to hear what they're saying. Again, I don't recommend this, but I, I, I feel, feel it's necessary for me. I've got to hear what the, the heretic's saying. I, I'm saying if somebody, if somebody were to come into this church who hates God and I'm preaching, I've got to be able to defend what I say. We should be able to defend what we say. And even our kids, our kids go off to college. Jeffrey, your son's in, in college right now, four-year university, and he could, he's going to come home at some point, and he's going to say, Dad, man, this is what people are saying. And if you haven't been with Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you're just going to go, well, you know, that's what some people see and say. You know? But if you've been with Jesus and you know Jesus, you're going to be more like Peter and say, well, I know who he is. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. God's anointed one, God's own Son. Jesus continues in verse 17. Jesus answered him. Now, this was a very common rabbinical saying. So any rabbi who had students, when they said something accurate, they would say, Something like this. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not, what? Revealed this to you, but 
My Father, who's in heaven, has revealed it to you. This isn't something that you saw with your eyes or your emotions told you or you figured out on your own. It's more of a revelation from heaven. If you're taking notes today, I would write this down. To truly understand the kingdom, the king, and our role as citizens of the kingdom, we need a personal revelation of who God is. On your screens here, a revelation of Jesus as the Christ brings citizenship in the kingdom of God. Uh, we said this last week, but Jesus called himself the gate to the kingdom. And he said, I'm the only way in. You want in the kingdom, you've got to come through me. You can't climb the walls. That's what thieves do. And my father doesn't allow that. But you want in, God wants you in. Father wants you in. He want, it's free to come in. I've already paid the price for your admission, but you've got to come through me, Right? A revelation of that, a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is how we get into the kingdom of God. And if you don't have a revelation of the kingdom of God, you're going to see things dimly. You're not going to understand the heart of God behind the kingdom of God. And it's just going to be a bunch of rules and regulations. And that's what the Pharisees were throwing on people. And that's why Jesus said, let me warn you, don't be fooled by the Pharisees and all the rules and regulations. There's one way to heaven and it's me. Well, that made the Pharisees really mad. That's why they ended up inciting the people to say, crucify him. But a revelation of Jesus Christ brings citizenship into the kingdom of God. It's through faith in what Jesus did on a cross for us. We can't forget that. The gospel cannot become old. There's not some other way. There's not some secret knowledge to getting in the kingdom of God. It's simply Jesus. When we become citizens of the kingdom of God, when we step into the kingdom of God, when we believe... And we step through the door, which again is Jesus, and we're now in the kingdom of God. It changes our identity. There's two kingdoms. We said that. You're no longer aligned with the kingdoms of this world, the powers of darkness. You're now aligned with the king of light. You're now aligned with a different king and a different kingdom. And it changes our ideals, our philosophies, our way of seeing things. It changes how we embrace this life. It changes everything. It should shift our priorities. Jesus said, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. He's talking to us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You're in the world. Yeah, you go to work in the world. You go to school in the world. You live in the world. You shop in the world. But you're not of this world. You're of my kingdom. You're different. You're set apart, which means that everything about you requires reorientation. Everything about you, the approach that you have to money, the approach you have to relationships, the approach that you have towards benevolence or hospitality, the approach you have towards anything in this world, your possessions, your passions, is filtered through the kingdom of God now. It's, it's actually, I would say, I'm a little biased, right? I'm in the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom, you would say it makes it better. <laughs> it's safer. It's more powerful. But if you don't understand that, if you're not in the kingdom or you're not embracing the kingdom and you're not allowing the kingdom's ideals to become your own ideals, then you're going you're to be frustrated. You're going to wrestle with that. It's going to be, I don't want to think differently about relationships. I don't want to think differently about my money. I don't want to think differently about my possessions or my passions. I want to I do it my way. I want to do it my way. That was for Nancy. But once you're in the kingdom and you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you begin to listen to the king, 
and follow the, the king's guidebook. That's your Bible. You begin to allow the king to shape your perspective. And you begin to do it his way, according to his word. So Peter said, you're the Christ. And in verse 18, the rest of verse 18, Jesus looked at Peter and he responded to him. And he said, and I tell you, you are Peter. Now, he, he gave him this name, really, uh, when they were on the seashore, uh, Sea of Galilee. And he said, you'll be called Cephas, which is Peter. Jesus, I don't know if it was a nickname, uh, if it was Jesus' name for him, a term of endurance. I don't know how all that played out. But I will say, this, when he walked up to Jesus the first time, Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to call you Peter. <laughs> and here it is. He says, I tell you, you are. <laughs> and maybe Peter didn't get it. Maybe he didn't understand it. But you are Peter. The word Peter is the same word as Petra, which means rock. So there's some, there's some word play going on here. Jesus knows how to play the words. You are Peter. And on this rock, on this revelation, that's what most theologians have said up until now, and continue to say, on this revelation that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. I will build my church. The church is, at its most basic level, it's a group of people united by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would hope that in this room today, most of us are united in our faith on our core beliefs that Jesus is God, that he is the son of God, that he died for our sins and he is the only way to heaven. That we, would, we, you know, we may have different opinions about interpretation of scripture, you know, philosophies on what Jesus did or said in the epistles and even the Old Testament and what's applicable, what's not, you know, whether you, know, you, you can't eat this kind of meat or you shouldn't eat this creepy crawly thing and all that. I'm not eating spiders, y'all. I don't care what you say. I don't care what God says. I'm not eating spiders. I'm not, I don't care what the president says. I'm not eating spiders. But we're united by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is made up of people, not buildings. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but, you know, we didn't come to church today. <laughs> we are the church. The church assembled today. It's a better way of saying it. It's the people. Pastor Jordan said this week, you can be a member of a church with your feet, but you can only be a member of the church with your faith. We're connected to one another. We're connected to God through faith in Jesus, a common faith. And, you know, over the generations, over the centuries, the church has been under attack and continues to be under attack, yet the church rises up from the ashes every time. The church is growing. The church is alive. The church is moving. The church is changing lives from every end of the earth. The church was God's idea, and it continues to be God's idea. It's the way he expresses his kingdom to the world around us. It's through the local church. It's through the body of Christ. It's through the church. The church is a big deal. The scriptures tells us that God is building his church. Jesus said here, I will build my church, <laughs> not that church or that church or this denomination. And I think we... we, we, we we get in a tizzy over a lot of things that don't really matter. Jesus is in charge of his church. His spirit is in the church. And some of you would say, well, not the church I grew up in. There wasn't no spirit there. Well, he probably was. You didn't feel him. But he was there. He was working because he is in the church. And he's 
He's moving the church forward. And you can't see it. I can't see it always. I can't always see it even here, but certainly not across the street and down the road at other churches. All those churches you pass coming here today, we can't see the move of God, what God's doing specifically, but God is moving. He's building His church. He's building His church, and the church is the body, the people. People make mistakes. People do things you don't agree with, I don't agree with. People do things that are weird. Some people say that the people of Northwood are weird. I had a guy, met him in the front lobby one day, first time here. I don't remember which one of you invited him, but he walked through the front door. Hey, man, how's it going? I'm Mike. I'm the pastor here. Met him and talked to him a few minutes. And I said, hey, if you need anything, let me know. He went, grabbed some coffee, came in, and we had worship, and we had preaching. And at the end of the service, I happened to be in the lobby when he was leaving. He came out, and he said, man, this was really good. He said, I'll be honest with you. He said, I, I told some of the people at the church I was at before that I, I was just not, I was, didn't feel like I was getting fed. I was going to check out some churches. And when I told them I was coming to Northwood, they, they said, oh, be careful. They handle snakes there. No joke. No joke. People are saying stuff like that. I will tell you again, the only handling of snakes I will do is with my gun. I mean, that's, I don't even want a photo with a bow constrictor around my head. I don't know why people do that. It's insane to me, but. Maybe they're, maybe they're from Caesarea Philippi. I don't know. I don't know. Just, but, but, you know, it's people are saying weird things. We're weird to some people, right? And others are weird to us. It doesn't matter how weird we are. Christ is building his church. He's using his spirit to build his church. He's building his church. What happened here this morning, Morgan? This was a, a way of building the church. This is what God was doing when he said, Mike, he's not listening. Morgan, tell, tell Mike this. It's time. We're going to do this this morning for people who are bound up. They're going to get them free today because of what's next in their life. And he's building his church. He's building you. He's discipling you through the church. Yes, we did it here in the building, but we're the church and he's doing it in the church, through the church. He's working on us as we study, as we study and we grow and we understand God more and we understand his mission more. We are being built as the church. It's the revelation that Peter had. It's the revelation that you had. It's the revelation that we have to have to get in the church. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ that makes you a part of something much bigger than yourself. You're not only a part of Jesus' church, but you're part of his kingdom. Come on, let's continue in verse 18. We read it already, but he said, I tell you, Peter, you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is, this is just a little, little thought here. Here's Jesus back on the hillside, got his disciples, maybe others, maybe Mary's there, and Mary and Mary and all the others, and they're there on the hillside. Now, it's dark now, and the pandemonium is raging, the smoke, the fire, the, the, the killing, the blood, uh, the goats, and all the, and then the people and their sensuality and their dancing and their and their doing literally doing things that you would only find on a triple x website right there in front of the disciples you know and some of the disciples were like i can't watch some of them were like i've never seen this before look at this and you know it's just all this going on and jesus is talking you know how you are and jesus was talking to him and he said hey guys listen 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 who do people say that i am okay who, who do you say that i am and peter blurts out you're the christ the son of the living god and he said yes peter peter On this, put my picture back up, Millie, hurry, hurry. I got it right on the tip of my tongue. On this rock, rock of the gods, where all these gods are, and these temples, and this pandemonium is going on, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
No, you're clapping, but you don't get this. No, you're clapping, but you don't get this. Because the disciples were like, but Lord, I thought you were going to build the church in a safe place where there wasn't any of this. I thought you said not to look at these things, not to be a part of these things. To Don't dip, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with those that do. You know, you know religion. Remember what the Pharisees said? And he said, no, quit listening to the Pharisees. Go down to these people who are bound up and sick and going to hell because they have no hope. And they're doing what heathen do. They're they're celebrating hedonism and they don't know what they're doing and don't be afraid to go down there because pan is not real and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church that's what i think he said now oh, the disciples were getting riled up there <laughs> getting excited it was like yeah yeah peter pulls his sword and said to the king i don't i don't know i don't know that actually happened we're so afraid of the world. We're so afraid of false religions. We're so afraid to get our feet dirty. We're so afraid to get our hands muddy. We're so afraid of the people who are different from us. We're so afraid of all those people. And we try to stay away from them. We like our walls because we're safe in here. We're, we're clean. We don't have all that, right? Well, if the church is not the building, the church is the people. Everything in your head right now is in here. And there's dirt in this room right now. Such is life. And there's dirt all around us in our homes, in our classrooms, on our sports teams. There's dirt all around us in our communities. There's hurt and dying and lost people that are just living it up. Pandemonium. They're living it up. And sometimes we're so oh, pharisaical. We don't want to get dirty. We don't want to get around them. We don't want to go to them. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's where I'm building my church. Right there in the middle of the temple area with all of the dead goats. Because that's where the lost people are. Oh, you guys, you're, you're, you're well. You don't need a doctor anymore, but they do. Let's go doctor them. But Lord, but Lord, what about, what about Pan? What about the gods? What about, what about this and that around us? What about all the other people's opinions? And he's like, none of that will stand. None of that will stand. Jesus is building his church right in the middle of a lost and perverse world. And he's using the church to do that. He's using us to do that. Remember, we're in this world. We're not of this world, but we are in this world. We've got to go to the world. Citizenship in the kingdom requires that we take responsibility. Now, the picture here, kingdom stewardship, there's some keys there. And that's part of this next scripture in verse 19. You know, he just said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And then he looks at us, and he says, I will give you, come on, somebody say me. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As the church, we are to steward the kingdom of God. We're to steward this mission of Jesus, this body of Christ's experience. We are to steward it well. He says, here's the keys. You don't give the keys to somebody without responsibility. Adam Morgan's been driving now a few years, but when you gave her the keys that first time, you knew what you were doing. You were taking great risk. You knew the, what's out there on the roads, and you knew that it was a risk, but you knew you had to do it. You had to trust her. And so far, so good, right? And I would say that about the church. Jesus said, no, 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 guys, you don't get it. I don't want you to come sit on the hillside and watch them party. I don't want you to sit on the hillside and talk about them. I don't want you to sit back in the buildings and, and talk about how bad they are. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm giving you the keys to the car. Go, go to them. I'm giving you keys to the kingdom, the, the access to the kingdom to come and go, to be a part of, to access the, 
promises of God, to access the power of God, to access the privileges that go along with being a kingdom citizen, to access the purpose behind the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ came to save those that were lost, to seek and save the lost, and to destroy the works of the enemy. And then he tossed us the keys and said, now go do it. And we as the church have to take this responsibility individually but collectively as the global church. We have access and we have authority that goes with that responsibility. He said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. We have a mandate to go and bind up the brokenhearted and loose the captives. Those that are blind out there, aren't you glad? Are you glad somebody came and got you? Are you glad somebody came and presented you the gospel, the freeing gospel of Jesus Christ? Arnie, this weekend's the Freedom Conference. There's many that have been in it before, but many who haven't, and they're coming to it. I want to tell you, this Saturday is going to be a monumental moment for many of you as you're in the Freedom Conference because what we're doing is we are binding up the brokenhearted and loosing the captives from their, from their bondage, breaking chains of past hurts, traumas, wounds, and habits and hang-ups and all those things that we drag around with us. Cutting those ties and we're stepping into a new freedom. A freedom that we're able to collectively as a church maintain and rise up in victory and go and help others. God saves us to save others. He saves us. He's given us that ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the keys to the kingdom and the authority to go with them. We read this last week. I want to read it again today. I think it's on the screens. We'll see. It's the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifested in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects to the king. I said this, but I'll say it again. The church is how Jesus chose to express his kingdom to the world. We have the responsibility to carry out the great co-mission, which is to make disciples. There's three things that we're kind of wrap up with. Ryan, you can come up wherever you are. The Bible tells us that we, the church, with the keys... And the authority are to make disciples of people from every nation and background. I, see, I think it's super cool. We, we, we saw the video from Dan King, and whether you realize it or not, we're making a difference in Honduras. <laughs> every nation, tongue, and tribe. We're not just all about our local communities that we live in, Carnes and Big Level and Maxie and Dixie and Wiggins and McHenry and Parkinson, Magnolia, Socher. Those are important, and we're, we're responsible for these areas, but we're also responsible to, to get out, and we're able to do that through partnering with people like Dan. Ryan, I have you turned down so you can start playing whenever you're ready. Search Project and all the other ministries we partner with because we, we have a responsibility to reach people, the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's to proclaim the gospel to all people. We're sitting on the hillside with Jesus, and Man, he just said, I'm going to build my church right there. 
right there in the midst of them, in that place that you're like, ooey gooey, no way. That's where we're going. That's who needs us most. That's who needs Jesus. I don't know the whole story, but I, I was um, privy to some information this weekend. Pastor Stephen passed along to us. He's got someone in Ocean Springs that is connected with <clears throat> some local ministries and statewide ministries. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there again. I don't know the whole story, so if there's more of the story that you know, take it for what it's worth. But they, they got an initiative from Attorney General Lynn Fitch to canvas the state of Mississippi and to find people who are being tra uh, sex trafficked. And so this last weekend, they had a huge statewide initiative. Literally hundreds and hundreds of people were rescued in our state from sex trafficking and, and hundreds of people were arrested for perpetrating it. There were so many people involved, women who, women who had lived lives in the prostitution arena. Uh, women who had said, you know, I'm a student, but I can't afford it and I can't afford to live. And so I can make as much money on one weekend as I can in an entire month doing anything else. And that's why they've chosen to go that route. And, but, and there's other reasons, some that were abused, some were in true bondage, like literally captives. But they unanimously, as many as they reported on, they said that they were all crying out to God saying, God, would you send help? This is not who I want to be. And here, I'm just, I don't know, I don't know more, but not only did this team of people from all over the, net, the state go through our state with all the information they had and be able to, to arrest people and set people free, and there were kids involved, Nancy, so they were, they, were, they were literally kids they were rescuing from this environment as well. But the information I got was that Attorney General Lynn Finch was there every time. <laughs> she didn't sit in her office in Jackson and write a letter. She came out and she went and she arrested people and she put people in jail. <laughs> and I'm studying for this message and I'm going, that's what he's talking about, y'all. We've got to go to those that nobody cares about and nobody wants. It's the ones that Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm going to build my church right there. We've got to preach the gospel to people, y'all. It's not, it's not if you've got the gift. It's not when you get time or if it's convenient. There are desperate people all around us that need what we have. They need what's within us. And all we got to do is share it. God does his side when we do ours, right? He does his part when we do ours. We don't save people. We give them hope and point them to Jesus and the Holy Spirit saves them like he did us. So we've got to preach the gospel. And number three, we've got to teach people to obey Christ's commands. And that's so broad. Wow. Many of those people who were set free this weekend will probably go back into the the environments that they were rescued from because they weren't they're not they're not able to teach we we sponsor a we help support an organization on the coach that helps teach people how to it's a two-year program you can literally be free you can go into this program that we, we're partnered with we don't 
you know, sponsor the whole thing, but we partner with it. And you can go into it as a woman who's been rescued out of this environment and sex trafficking. And you can go to this program and they, they guarantee you two years where they teach you how to live and all the things that are necessary. And they protect you. You can't, you, you can't, there's no address, right? I can't give you the address and you go visit. They don't do that. They don't even let you call in. You've got to, it's a, like a process to communicate. But, but we have to do the same thing. That's why this is so important, what we're doing today. We're being discipled. We're being taught in many ways. At NC, our mission is to build Christ-centered communities that help people to know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. And that's what we're supposed to put our energy in because that's what matters most that we know God and we grow and we go that we know God that we grow and that we go can't forget the go part right let's pray Father we're humbled by the text the word the encouragement today we're broken God, we're praying that you would open our eyes to see the things you see, that we would be broken over the things that break your heart, that we wouldn't find ourselves in a comfort zone, isolated from the very work of Jesus Christ, but that we would be willing to go. We are empowered. We have the authority. We just have to go. We pray for those around us. Think about three or four people around you in your class, your job, your neighborhood, your family. We pray for them, God, that we would have an opportunity over the next few weeks to share the good love of Jesus with them. And whether it's getting them in the local church or it's just praying for them or encouraging them or helping them take their next step. God, that we would be privileged to be able to do that as stewards of your kingdom, as stewards responsible stewards, managers of your kingdom that you have trusted to us. Father, I pray for those in this room today that don't know you, that are away from you, God, that today they would be able to say yes to the free gift of salvation that comes from Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know God, the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus saves you and you believe it in your heart that you would be saved. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. A simple prayer. You to God. Just say something like this. Say, God in heaven, please forgive me for my sins. I turn from them today. And I ask you to save me. Come live inside of me. Teach me to know you. Teach me to love you. Tell him this. Say, I give you all of me, Jesus. And I receive all of you. In Jesus' name.